0: Welcome to Journeys of Teaching, I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week we are exploring the journey of Mrs. Deborah Croson, a retired middle grades and high school English language arts teacher who worked in the Illinois public schools. Deb received a bachelor's degree from Northern Illinois University. On the last episode, we heard Deb's stories from her career in which she realized and better understood how students learn in different ways. On this episode, we will hear Deb describe her decision to retire from teaching and her post-teaching years. Each episode from my interview with Deb will feature snippets from two short stories she wrote and agreed to share in this podcast series. Information about them and links to the full text of each are included in the episode description. I will start by reading aloud part of Deb's short story titled, My Life as an English Teacher, and then transition to portions of my conversation with Deb about her decision to retire and her volunteer and community work, as well as her writing practices. Teachers usually have no way of knowing that they have made a difference in a student's life, even when it may be a dramatic one. I was lucky. After 10 years of teaching, I made the difficult decision to resign from Dakota High School. I had gotten married and was driving 100 miles every day for the past several years, and the long drive extended my day by two hours. I made my decision in May not to return the following year. I hadn't planned announcing it to my students, but as the last several days loomed ahead, I realized I had to say goodbye. As junior class sponsor, I was particularly close to these kids since they were in seventh grade. I was already feeling guilty for not seeing them through their senior year. The day before they received the report cards, I told my classes about my decision. I was stunned by their reaction. Half of the girls in my American literature class started crying. My professional demeanor and control began to crumble as I started to wipe tears from my face. I attempted to tease them about how they would no longer have to suffer through my haranguing about their dangling modifiers and lack of organization in their compositions. I went home that evening with a severe headache and wondered if I had made the biggest mistake in my life. The next day, I was startled to see the lights on and the door open to room 206. On my desk were masses of flowers and chocolates and cards. I wept openly as I read the cards. Some said that our discussions in class changed the way they viewed life. A few said they now loved literary analysis and writing. Some said that I had inspired them to pursue college. Most wished me luck in my future endeavors, and they all said they would miss me. But they didn't realize it was they who made me comprehend my limitations and allowed me to confront humanity with all its sorrows and joys. At the end of the day, I gazed at the empty classroom one more time, locked the door to room 206, and walked down the silent, dimly lit hallway.
1: Well, actually, I finally left the classroom in, I think it was 1991 or 92, Mm -hmm. and um, one big reason was the long drive. Uh, In other words, I started out at Dakota, then when... I was married to Bill, then I had a hundred mile round trip every day. And I did that for about four or five years. And actually, I didn't mention this. I actually resigned one year and I tried to find a teaching job around here that is Dixon. And I, let's see, I ended up substitute teaching that year and I hated it. And then I found out that the woman who replaced me was, did not work out. And so then I rethought it and I said, well, I think I'd like to come back. And they took me back in a minute. And so then I continued (laughs) for a few more years. And then finally I thought, I can't, I can't do this long drive anymore because it was tough in the winter. I, I I had a place to crash if I needed to. And that was always And I did. But anyway, so so then um, it was really a difficult transition for me to go from teaching to not working. So I threw myself into the community. And actually, one of the reasons it prompted me into into my retirement is that Bill wanted to do a lot more traveling. Yeah. And so so I threw myself into volunteering in the community and actually at one time I was on five or six different boards and he teased me and he said, you know, more people in this community than I do. <laughs> so, so actually I've always had this, I don't sit still. I get that from my father. I mean, I'm always, I'm busy. I'm active. I don't sit down much except to read. Yeah. And I know that's all from my father. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is, so um yeah he 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 basically taught me the you know the value of of hard work and also sticking with things, mm-hmm. even when the going is rough he he taught me that I know he
0: did well I suppose that I mean that applies directly to you going back to Dakota after the your replacement didn't work out, you're like, well i'm gonna. <laughs> It's almost like another way of seeing it through, even though that wasn't your original plan, in a way.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I felt it just, you know, of course, I, I was still certainly young. I mean, I basically only, you know, I had a small career in teaching, but I, I do think it's in with these two essays. I think that growing up on the farm. And teaching English for ten, actually eleven years, shaped who I am, and it taught me how to grow up.
0: Your story is different in that you've been out of the classroom for a little bit now. Yes. In what ways are you like still connected to the the profession, or like keeping up with it? Or just like, what is your sense of education? in a contemporary perspective. I'm just interested in like, because I I won't know what that feels like for a long time from now because of the type of work I've gotten into. But like being removed from the classroom for that long, like what kind of connections do you still have to teaching or awareness or thoughts about it or just anything
1: I, I stay in touch with um, some close friends who have been in the teaching profession longer than I have. Mm-hmm. You know, my best friend from kindergarten ended up becoming a grade school teacher much of her career, and then she became a principal. And so we, we have conversations. And, um, and also the fact that um, my involvement in the community Um, is I actually, well, I'm, I'm a Kiwanis member and the motto of Kiwanis is serving the children of the world. So I've been engaged a lot, Mm -hmm. uh, with some of the programs we do. For instance, we, we, we raise money of course, but I'm very involved in our program where, um, we try to promote literacy, so we give every first grader in Dixon a book to call their own, and we actually go in the classroom once a week for three weeks and read a story to them. And I talk to them. I talk to them about how important reading was to me as a child, and then how important it is to me now in life. and then. Well, this perhaps doesn't relate, but then in my community involvement, I also became involved with kids, specifically as a CASA volunteer, um, where we uh, basically represent abused and neglected children in the court system. And that involved my becoming... uh, friends friends with a child and talking to their teachers, their foster parents, social workers, counselors, and then I'd write a report for the judge every three months. I, I basically re- am representing the child in the courtroom. So I think my connection with kids did continue later in life. And, and so... <laughs> I was in CASA, gosh, either as a volunteer um, or a board member for 20 years.
0: Wow. So, so in that. Yeah, you still like, it's just a different form of like advocacy and promoting literacy, but it's still the good work that you were doing in the classroom. It just looks different now.
1: Well, I I hope so. It's definitely different. And it allows me the flexibility to travel and play tennis and do the things I want to (laughs) do. Very close to these four other women, we had a writers group
0: mm-hmm. for
1: um, about ten years. We'd meet once a month, and then we would email each other whatever we'd written a couple days before. We would critique, and then we'd have someone would host lunch, and then we'd talk about politics, books, movies, and it was a really good experience. So in that way, I, it kind of helped me get back to writing.
0: When you say get back to writing, do you mean that there was a period where you weren't actively composing work as yes. much? Yes. Like how well, long How long was that?
1: It was basically when I was teaching. I didn't have time.
0: <laughs> I, I love that you point that out because... Um, <laughs> I'm a big advocate of like engaging in the authentic literacy practices alongside children, and like the work of teaching is has become. I mean, it, it has been obviously since when you did it so cumbersome and busy and time consuming that you can't you're not afforded the luxury of time to engage in that as much.
1: You're you're absolutely right. It's true. I I think that if you're Teaching—it's um, really difficult to have time to write, yeah. and it's—it's—it's it's, it's kind of a catch
0: twenty-two. It is, and you mentioned if there's if you have your own children or other other cares in the world beyond that, like it's so hard. It's I found time at night this past week because I'm taking over our STEM teaching endorsement program um, this starting this summer. It's like a three course sequence we offer for K twelve um, graduate. Um, student teachers here and um, I'm trying to teach myself Java coding a little bit because I want to try to integrate not that I want them to be like computer programming experts but I want them to have an awareness of that and how that fits into STEM education so I feel like I'm going to get off my butt and learn it a little bit and do it so that I'm not asking them to do something that I wouldn't also do and I think there's something to that with teaching anything whether it's literacy mm-hmm. otherwise uh, like you said, that can be hard to engage in a lot a lot when you're actively teaching.
1: That's right. It it it, it becomes a time factor. And also depending on how one if I write, I have to have it absolutely quiet. I have to have a whole chunk of time where I, and, and I, I don't want to have to jump up and do the laundry or <laughs> like in your case, change diapers. I'm
0: always doing laundry or changing diapers.
1: <laughs> and I, I don't think that's conducive to sitting down and writing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so no, I, I, I second that. Um <laughs> There was one more thing I was going to ask about that, and now I lost what I was going to say. Um, Must not have been that important then, but I I think there's something to that for sure. I talk with my pre-service teaching candidates often about the nature of a teacher's work. It can feel overly demanding, thankless, and ripe with sacrifices of time, money, and stress. (sighs) Deb's narrative shows the intangible rewards of teaching and truly connecting with students, as well as the fulfillment of a post-teaching life engaged in service and creative endeavors. We will finish exploring Deb's narrative of teaching on the next episode of Journeys of Teaching. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I am Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.